So last week we talked about a fascinating connection that my connection to heaven is affected by these relationships. That's a fascinating thought that if I extend mercy here, I receive mercy here. If I withhold mercy here, he withholds mercy here. My relationship with him is affected by my relationship with others. Now, if I could draw that, let me see if I can put those together. Maybe you'll see something. My relationship with him and my relationship with others. Do you see the connection? First commandment, second commandment. Now, who would you put right in the center of that cross? The Savior is the connection. The Savior is the connection between me and the Father, and the Savior is the connection between me and other people. So we ended with a fascinating concept. Speaking of forgiveness, what if the person I'm most withholding forgiveness is some previous version of me? Is it different? Are the rules different if the person I'm not forgiving is me? Or is it the same rule? It's the same rule. If I mistreat me, does it affect this relationship? Now, last week was on forgiveness. The last 10 minutes we talked about perhaps the person we need to most forgive is some past version of ourselves who made a stupid mistake and we've punished that person for years, maybe even decades. And just like forgiving someone else, we need to forgive ourselves. I want, today is the second half of that. Allow me to push that because I have had a front row seat to your age group for 30 years. And I am here to testify that this connection affects this connection. So allow me to take last week's discussion to the next step and talk about Sometimes what we do to ourselves because we compare ourselves to others. Last week we focused on forgiveness. I forgive you, he forgives me. Today I want to talk about what we often do to ourselves when we look at other people and we compare. The deadly poison of comparison. And again, I testify that this affects this. And allow me to point out one of the biggest poisons that affects this is when I compare myself to others and tear myself down. May I suggest to you it is human nature. Everyone turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Come on in. This is. You, I know. Yeah. Remind me your name. Eddie. Eddie. Like, yeah, it took some of my 
Yes. It's great to see you again, Eddie. Yes. You I don't know. Maria. Maria. Eddie and Maria. So here we are, you two, just a brief summary. We're talking about the fact that my relationship with other people affects my relationship with Heavenly Father. Last week we talked about if I am unwilling to forgive you, He is unwilling to forgive me. But if I will be forgiving and merciful towards you, He is forgiving and merciful towards me. Do you see that connection? So I want to take that to the next level. Let me show you something that we often do. The ugliness of human nature and tell you that it's going to have an impact on your relationship with Heavenly Father. So turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're, not, we're going to be in 18, but I want to start in 17. Tell me the story of 1 Samuel chapter 17. What's the famous story? Ivy? David and Goliath. It's okay. Daniel is a good guy. David and Goliath. Okay, summary. David shouldn't have been there, right? Was David a military man? He was not. He was a shepherd. He happened to be there because he's delivering food to his brothers. Now, who was there? Who was leading Israel? King Saul. There's two characters we need to talk about in this story. King Saul, who's been leading Israel in battle. And he's been doing a pretty good job. They have successfully freed Israel from other people, other oppressive nations. Now along comes the Philistines. Now the Philistines have a different philosophy. They say, we'll send our best guy out. You send your best guy out. Those two will fight and whoever wins, wins for the whole team. Now that's brilliant if you have a nine foot, nine inch Goliath. Not so brilliant if you don't. So Israel is, uh, 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 what do we do? And King Saul doesn't know what to do. Well, along comes David and says, send me. King Saul laughs. You can't go against him. Well, you know the story. David goes out there and slays Goliath and wins the victory for everyone. Now, the problem begins when they go home. So go to chapter 18, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7. The women start to sing. Now tell me what they sing. Do you read it? 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7. What do the w women sing, Ryan? And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul is slain, his thousands, and David his tens. Saul hath slain his thousands. And David his 10,000. Do you see what's about to happen? Tell me what's about to happen. Saul's going to have a problem with this, right? So tell me what Saul does with the word but. Let's read verse 8. Tell me what he does with the word but. Daisy, do you mind verse 8? So tell me what he does with the word but. To David they have ascribed 10,000, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. Ivy, what's he doing with the word but? He's comparing, but what does he do with the word but? To David they have ascribed 10,000, 
And to me, they have ascribed. He's lowering himself because why? Because she's pretty. Because he makes more money than I do. Because he has better grades. And that's the problem. That is human nature. President Benson, who you don't remember, but he passed away long ago, he gave a classic talk on pride. And one of the lines that has never left me, I was 19 when I heard it. And one of the lines that has never left me, he says, pride is ugly. Pride says, if you're a success, I'm a failure. And the problem with the word but is we look at someone else who something really good is happening in their life. And instead of cheering and rejoicing and being grateful that something good is happening in your life, what do we do? We tear ourselves down. We tear ourselves down because of the good thing that's happened to them. There's the ugly side of human nature. It's that comparison and that nature, that, that, that tendency to tear ourselves down by the comparison. We butt ourselves. And we all do it. People who are sensitive to their weight walk into a room and who do they notice? Who do they notice? The thin people. And they butt themselves. People who are sensitive to their teeth, who do they notice? People with per beautiful, perfect teeth. People who are sensitive to their hair, who do they notice? People with beautiful, perfect hair. And every time they see someone with beautiful, perfect hair, what do they do to themselves? We tear ourselves down by the comparison. We butt ourselves. Now, I think I know when it began. Allow me to suggest that that was the, that's what I call the first temptation. The temptation to eat the fruit wasn't the first temptation. Let me show you the first temptation. Everyone turn to Moses chapter three, Pearl of Great Price. Moses chapter three, when God introduces Adam and Eve into the Garden of Eden, Listen to what he says, Moses 3. Now, how many trees were there in the Garden of Eden? Not just two, not just tree of life and tree of good and evil, right? There was lots of trees. So tell me, what is Heavenly Father pointing at when he says the word every, right? Let's read verse 16. He introduces them into the Garden of Eden, and he says, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. Tell me what he's pointing at when he says every. If, I, if we were filming this and you're directing me, tell me what to do when I say, if I'm playing the part of Heavenly Father, what do I do when I say every? Of every tree of the garden. Tell, what are you doing, Ryan? So what's he pointing at? Tell me what Heavenly Father is pointing at. All that we can do. That is his nature. All that we can do. Heavenly Father will always point out all the good. He is saying, look at all the trees you can eat. Just not that one. Emphasizing on every tree. Now turn to chapter four and watch what Satan does. 
He's going to use the exact same word. But tell me how to film this one. Okay, you direct me in this. Tell me what I'm pointing at when I say the word every, when I play the part of Satan. Look at verse 7. Notice the same word, every. God said, of every tree thou mayest freely eat. And Satan says what? How would you direct me to, to act this out? Satan comes in and says, wait a minute, didn't God say you could eat from every tree? What's he pointing at? Tell me what Satan will always point out. What you can't do. God will always point out all that you are. All that you can do. Everything that you have. And what will Satan point out? What you can't. Now, can I ask a piercing question? Which of those two voices do you listen to? Why are you smiling, Ivy? <laughs> we Yeah, if I were to ask you to write down your five greatest assets, your, the, the five best things about you, and if I were to ask you to write the five biggest flaws about you, which list would be easier to write? Whose voice are we listening to? The one who will point out all that you are, all that you can do. Look at, look at who she is. Or the one person who will say, but what about that? What about your blank? Do you see the problem? It is our nature to see the flaw. Tell me why you hate to see pictures of yourself. Anyone want to be honest? That's enough. Tell me why we all hate to see pictures of ourselves. Because I, when, I, when I look at me, tell me what I see. When I look at me, I see the flaw. And when I see a picture of myself, what do I realize? Everyone else sees it too. And I tear myself down. It's that natural tendency to see the flaw. Now, if I'm focused on my flaw and I walk into a room, tell me what I notice. I notice the people who don't have that flaw. And what do I do to myself when I tear myself down? Let me give you an example. I was teaching this lesson to another group of college students and this girl raised her hand and she said, she said, let me give you an example. And I'd never thought about this example, but it just can't, it has never left me. She admitted that she's madly in love with this boy who is in love with another girl, not her. She loves this boy who loves that girl. And every single time she runs into the girl, she asks herself, why does he like her and not me? And now tell me what she does. She sees a thousand reasons, right? Why does he like her and not me? Oh, that's why. Oh, that's why. And every time she sees her, 
what is she doing to herself? Tearing herself down. Now, can I ask you a question? Total honesty here with me. Do you think that is pleasing to Heavenly Father? When you tear yourself down. Now, it's an interesting, I mean, just what we did last week, it's an interesting twist on my relationship with others affects my relationship with Him. If I'm the person that is tearing down His beloved creation because I compare myself to other people, do you see that it's going to affect this relationship? Let me give you a couple of examples. First, my oldest two daughters. My oldest two are girls. The oldest has always been model thin. She just gave birth to her third child and looks like a 17-year-old girl. She's always been model thin. My second one, just by nature, has always been stronger, bigger. She's phenomenal, but she's just always been bigger than her sister. Tell me how that relationship has gone over the years. You get the picture, right? I will never forget one time when they went clothes shopping, because school was starting, they went clothes shopping. And my second daughter tried on larger clothes than her older sister. Tell me what she did that day. She tore herself down because she's bigger than her older sister. She came home, she was really upset, and I went to talk to her. I asked her an interesting question. I said, if you could trade bodies with your sister, but you had to trade lives as well, you had to be her, would you trade? Guess what she said? What do you think she said? What would you say? If you could trade bodies and have her body, but had to have her life and be her, would you trade? What did she say? She said no. She didn't want to be her, she just wanted to be that size. And I said, so you like who you are. You're pleased with who you are. Well, I don't want to be her. I want to be me. And all of a sudden I realized there's an antidote here. And the antidote is to be pleased with who you are, accept who you are. See the divine creation that He made when He made you. When you let go of trying to be someone else, guess what happens here? Guess what happens inside you when you stop the comparison and you simply accept who you are? Here's my next example. Does anyone know Patricia Holland, Pat Holland? 
anyone back in when Pre Elder Holland was the president of BYU, do you ever go back and read the talks where he spoke and she spoke? Pat Holland is phenomenal, but she's very, very quiet and very shy. Now, what's he? Not. She's very, very shy, and she's married to Jeff Holland. Can you imagine how that has gone over the years? Tell me what she has done as she's compared herself to her husband. Now, listen to her own words. I just, I just, I want to just shout this out from the rooftops. This is from Pat Holland. She said, Our Heavenly Father needs us as we are as we are growing to become. He has intentionally made us different from one another so that even with our imperfections, we can fulfill his purposes. My greatest misery comes when I feel I have to fit what others are doing or what I think others expect of me. I am most happy when I am comfortable being me and trying to do what my Father in heaven and I expect me to be. Now listen to her honesty. For years I have tried to measure the oft-times quiet, reflexive, thoughtful Pat Holland against the robust, bubbly, talkative, and energetic Jeff Holland and others with like qualities. How's she going to fare in that comparison? I have learned through several fatiguing failures that you can't have joy in being bubbly if you are not a bubbly personality. It is a contradiction in terms. I have given up seeing myself as flawed because my energy level is lower than Jeff's and I don't talk as much as he does nor as fast. How many times did she butt herself because I'm quiet and everyone likes him? How many times did the comparison cause her to tear herself down? Let me read that again. I have given up seeing myself as flawed because my energy level is lower than Jeff's and I don't talk as much as he does nor as fast. Now listen. When you finally have that moment, when you let go, giving this up has freed me to embrace and rejoice in my own manner and personality in the, cre cre in the measure of my creation. Ironically, this has allowed me to admire and enjoy Jeff's qualities even more. We'll get to that one in a minute. Letting go of the comparison. When I stop tearing myself down because I'm not what someone else is and I embrace who I am, she says it freed her. Do you see what happens here when I don't do this? And then she enjoys Jeff even more. Somewhere, somehow, the Lord helped me see that my personality was created to fit precisely the mission and talents he gave me. I have found that I have untold abundant sources of energy to be myself. But the moment I indulge in imitation of my neighbor, I feel fractured and fatigued and find myself forever swimming upstream. 
we frustrate, when we frustrate God's plan for us, we deprive this world and God's kingdom of our unique contributions and a serious schism settles in our own soul. God will never ask us to, not, God will never give us any task beyond our ability to accomplish it. We just have to be do, willing to do it our way. We will always have enough resources for being who we are and what we can become. My daughter wanted to be her, she just wanted that attribute. Well, what happens when we just let go of wanting that attribute and embrace fully who we are? Let me give you the antidote. I think the Book of Mormon has, a very, has the opposite story to King Saul. So do you remember, so King Saul was tearing himself down when he was comparing himself to David. To David they have ascribed 10,000 and to me they have ascribed but 10,000. Can you think of a story in the Book of Mormon? Five friends, all struck by an angel, all go on missions. Tell me where these four went. Lamanites, who'd they convert? Thousands of Lamanites. On a scale of one to 10, how cool is that in terms of missionary work? They went to the Lamanites and converted thousands of Lamanites and they're coming back with thousands of Lamanites. Where, where's Alma coming from when they meet? Do you remember the city he just came from? Ammoniah, that got destroyed because they were so wicked, where they burned the women and children. Do you remember that story? So Alma's coming out of Ammoniah and Ammon is coming with the Lamanites. Do you see the potential that Alma has to tear himself down, just like King Saul did? But watch what he does. I think this is the antidote. Alma chapter 29, 9. And may I suggest that when we have an Alma 29, 9 moment, we can then have an Alma 29, 14 moment. I love these two verses and what it means to me. Alma 29.9. Anyone want to read it? Someone read it for me. Who wants to read? You're all writing. Would you read? I'm going to have you read it a couple times. Just get ready. I know that which the Lord hath commanded me, and I glory in it. Okay, pause. Say that again. I know that which the Lord hath commanded me, and I glory One more time. I know that which the Lord hath commanded me, and I glory Okay, this time I want you to say, made me. I know that which the Lord hath made me, and I glory in it. One more time. I know that which the Lord hath made me, and I glory in it. How about given me? I know that which the Lord hath given me, and I glory in it. One more time. I know that which the Lord hath given me, and I glory in it. Now, someone's going to push back and say, you can't do that. That's pride. To glory in yourself is pride. So I'd have you read the rest of the verse. I do not glory of myself, but I glory in that which the Lord hath commanded. Okay, stop right there. It is not an act of pride to glory in what God did when he made you. Because who are you focusing on? him. 
It is not an act of pride to glory in what God did when he made you. But I pray, I long for the day when my second daughter says, I know who I am and I glory in it. With all the challenges that I have, I wouldn't trade my life for anyone else's because what God has done in my life is glorious. That's the Alma 29.9 moment. Tell me what God thinks of you. What does he think of his creation when he looks at you? And when are you going to see what he sees? When are you going to see the marvelous creation he made when he made you? How many of you in all of the universe did he make? Only one. Now, why did he make, why did he make you the way he made you? What about all my flaws? What about all my weaknesses? What about all my imperfections? Did he intend to have, to, to include all those? Couple verses. How about we go to section 25, verse 4. What does he say to Emma Smith? He uses a little bit of different language, but it's the same idea. Section 25 to Emma Smith, verse 4. Who will read? Ivy? Murmur not because of the things which thou hast not seen, for they are withheld from thee and from the world, which is wisdom in me in a time to come. Now, what if we twist it a little bit and say, murmur not because of what you aren't? Murmur not because of what you don't have. Murmur not because of what you can't do. Why are you not those things? What does he say, Abby? Why are you not those things? It is wisdom in me for a time to come. You have no idea what's coming and that's why you are what you are. And that's why you're struggling with what you struggle because of something that's coming and I know it. I made something marvelous when I made you. It's that marvelous moment when you say, Lord, I, I see, I glory in my creation. I just pray for that moment for you. Tell me what you're saying about God when you diminish your creation. And I, for one, wouldn't want to say that to him. If you treated me the way you treat yourself, what would everyone else think? I glory in what God did when he made me. Now, what about my flaws? Can you think of another one? If men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. And then tell me what he says after that. I give unto men weakness. Wisdom in God. 
Everything I am and everything I am not is wisdom in God. Everything I can and everything I cannot is wisdom in God for a time to come. And it is my job to rejoice in the creation He made with a divine hand when He made you. I believe with all my soul He wants you to see yourself the way He sees yourself. As a beautiful, glorious, worthwhile creation. Can I ask a doctrinal question? If you were the only person to be saved, would Jesus go through all that He went through? Do you believe that? If you were the only person to be saved, would he go through all that he went through? The answer is an emphatic yes. And he would do it gladly. That is how you, that's how valuable you are to him. And so step number one is to have that moment where you say, I glory in who I am. With all the challenges I have, I trust it is wisdom in Him that I am what I am. And I struggle with what I struggle. Now, what happens when you have this moment? This moment is only possible when you have this moment. When you finally say, I know that which the Lord made me and I glory in it, what will you then be able to do? Tell me what chapter 4 or verse 14 says. When you finally glory in who you are, what will you be able to do? What will the success of other people do? Instead of tearing you down, their success will add to your joy. I can rejoice in the good things that are happening to you and not tear myself down by comparison. The only way you have that moment is if you have an Alma 29.9 moment. When you say, I glory in who I am. I'm not glorying in me, I'm glorying in Him. I am grateful for the life that I am leading because I recognize myself as his daughter or son or whatever you want to read it. But when you finally have that moment and see yourself the way he sees yourself, you will then be able to see others and their success will make you happy not tear you down. This is such a better way to live. This is a better way to live when we are happy for other other people's success. I don't need to tear myself down because something good is happening to you. I am grateful that something, I am genuinely grateful that something good is happening to you because I know that he is doing good things in my life. Do you see that relationship between nine and 14? It is such a better way to live.
and you finally say, I am grateful for the life that I have. We've talked about that life. It is your best chance at salvation. He knows you well enough to know exactly which human experiences you need. So what did he create when he made you? What are you to him and how does he feel about you? And when are you going to accept that you are the valuable creature that we're supposed to tell, that we're supposed to believe everyone else is? See your own value. And then you will be able to rejoice in other people's success. It is an ugly way to live. Constantly tearing yourself down because something good happened to someone else. It is a much better way to live. To say, I love what Heavenly Father is doing in my life. I trust Him. I trust that it's the right thing for me. That I am the way I am in wisdom for a time to come. I glory in who I am. And because of that, I can glory in who you are instead of tearing yourself down. Do you see the better way to live here? I bear you my testimony that the way you treat yourself affects your relationship with Heavenly Father. Whether or not you get caught up in this comparison game affects your relationship with Heavenly Father. The better way to live is to just embrace the glorious creation Heavenly Father made when He created you. There is no one else in this universe like you. And it is my testimony, if you were the only person to be saved, He would save you. He would go through all that he went through to save you. See that value is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.